electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And Scott and Bryn, thank you for that handoff, because we're going to talk a lot about the travel turnaround uh, this hour on The Exchange. Americans are heading back out. We're going to talk with one company that could benefit whether people take ships, planes, trains, automobiles. The CEO of Booking Holdings will join us. Plus, stimulus and spending as round three of checks hit Americans' bank accounts. We're going to look at where they're likely to spend the money, what they're doing with it. And Wall Street falling in love with Roblox. That's all ahead. But we begin with today's markets, and they are rip-roaring higher. Bob Bazzani takes the numbers apart for us. Hi, Bob. Hello, Tyler. And this is a very powerful rally. We are at new highs on the S&P, on the transports, on the Dow Industrials. Values at a new high. Growth is at a new high. You get the idea? We've got a lot of market tailwinds. Let me just enunciate, enunciate some of them. But there you see the major averages here, Dow and the S&P, both uh, at new highs. The tailwinds, remember, the U.S. is the vaccine leader, and that's the most important thing in the world right now. But we had amazing economic numbers, a strong jobs report, strong consumer confidence, manufacturing numbers, services numbers were great. These were off the charts. Excellent numbers confirming the reopening is very, very real. As for interest rates, they're higher but still contained. They're not exploding on the upside. That's uh, engendering more confidence in the economic stability. As for earnings, still going up. We're going to start getting first quarter earnings numbers, but they've been rising for the last couple of months. Now, here's what I mean when I say growth and value both are moving up. So today, big cap tech names, all growth stocks, new highs in Google, new highs in Facebook, uh, new highs in Microsoft, new highs in many of the semiconductors like Texas Instruments. Okay, there's your growth component. But then you also have a lot of value stocks, many of them in the what we call the reopening category that are also hitting new highs today. So many of the travel stocks, Carnival, Southwest and the airlines, uh, many big old school industrials like the railroads, like CSX hitting new highs, uh, many old school international industrials hitting new highs as well. Uh, many of the home builders like Pulte and Lennar hitting new highs as well. So you've got growth moving and you got value. That's a powerful rally. At the same time, it's a little worrisome in the middle of the day to see oil collapse. We were weak at the open, but oil dropped about $2 in the middle of the day from 60 to below $58. Uh, energy stocks topped out, Tyler, oh, about a month ago. And most of these big names are 10, in some cases, 15% off of their recent 52-week highs. That's just one little thing to sort of keep track of uh, in an otherwise very upbeat market. Guys, back to you. Robert, thank you very much. And despite the uptick in new COVID cases across the country, Wall Street and Main Street are both off to the races today. Genuinely strong economic data uh, from the March jobs report uh, on Friday and this morning's ISM and PMI numbers. They are powering the market higher today. As you see, look at that S&P over 4,000, almost 4,100. As Bob said, the Dow and the S&P record highs, NASDAQ back to its highest level since February. And it is still about just three and a half percent off its all time high. Let's bring in Bryce Doty, senior portfolio manager for SIT Investment Associates. Bryce, welcome. Good to see you. You know, one of the numbers that is astounding uh, is that the average U.S. mutual fund went up, equity fund went up more than eight percent in the first quarter. And yet 
more individual investors poured more money by far into bond funds, which struggled. What's What are they thinking? Yeah, overall, money is just flooding in from the sidelines. So I think it's just an overall sentiment improving as as vaccines get rolled out. All this cash that was just sitting there as people were hunkering down is just flooding back into the into investments. And I understand what you're saying about the bonds, but some of the money is going into tips or uh, shorter duration bond funds. You know, we have we have a fund vault that uh, is perfect for people that just want to hunker down. And I think the first thing you want to do before you go and take a risk on this rebound, this vaccine trade is put some money in something safe. So after you put some money in bond, then go for these sector funds there. They're going to be big. I mean, I, you talked about travel. I think Away is a great ETF. And then as an alternative to transportation, but to also pick up on the, the inflation trend is uh, something tied to transportation costs, shipping costs. That's B-Dry. That's, that's another great ETF. And you're going to see a lot of money just flow into all these different sector funds uh, as, as the vaccinations accelerate. And yet the flows into bond funds, and let's, let's assume that a lot of it is going into tips, a lot of it is going into yeah. shorter duration funds. It's still something like almost three to one bond funds over stock funds. And bond funds aren't really lately the way to make money, period. Now, it shows how starved people are for income. And, and yields are low, but they just want income wherever they can get it. Also, corporate funds, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of popularity mm-hmm. because, uh, because they're going to do well as the economy goes up. Yet, you're right, the, the returns are not going to be great. As, as, price, as uh, yields go up, the prices are going to wipe out your income. Yeah, so it's you're going to get the income, but you're going to lose on the capital side of it. And so you, you end up yeah. sort of running in place, as far as I could tell. Talk to me a little bit more about that ETF that invests in the, in the dry shipping uh, sector of the world economy. Why specifically that one? Is it because everybody everywhere is trying to restock inventory, and when they do that, yeah. they have to send it on ships? Right, and they're all doing it at the same time. This is historic. When, never before we've seen the whole real world trying to restock inventory at the same time. So you're having major backlogs on our West Coast ports. There's a container shortage because you, you can't even get the ship back out of the port because it's sitting there in queue waiting to get unloaded. And they have, they have shortages of staff and facilities to make that happen. So the shipping costs have tripled from China. So Be Dry is going to benefit from that. I know it's gone up some. But it's going to go up more because it's tracking the, these shipping costs. And as as the rest of the world starts to get vaccinated, it, it's just going to be tougher and tougher. There's just going to be log jams and delays everywhere in the in the shipping world. BDRY is the ticker on that. And that is in part, uh, is, is it not an inflation play? So talk to me a little bit about where you see inflation settling. And is it at all worrisome to you? It is. So as a bond investor, we're really worried. And we, we so we use tips to a certain degree, but even tips don't fully capture what you want as return because there's still bonds. And as yields go up, the bond price is going to go down and you'll have some protection from the inflation component. But why not just invest where the inflation is? So you're seeing commodity prices spike, you know, raw materials, things like that. And Shipping costs are one of the key things. You're going right. to see travel explode. Well, prices are going to explode there. So away is another way to take advantage of that. 
And that's that's a more diversified way to protect yourself against the inflation, not just protect yourself, but take advantage of it. I mean, this may right. never happen again in our lifetime. You know, I, let's hope it doesn't. <laughs> I, mean, let's I agree. It, right. Bryce Doty, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Of SIT Investments. All right. We're starting to get uh, the early data on the third round of stimulus checks and the boost to consumer spending. According to Bank of America Global Research, credit and debit card spending jumped 82 percent compared with a year ago for the seven day period ended March 27th. And peak spending occurred six days after the checks were deposited. So where is the money being spent? Joining me now is Michelle Meyer, head of U.S. economics at Bank of America Global Research. Michelle, welcome. Where is the money going? Well, it's going throughout um, the economy, frankly. It is a lot of money pumping in and consumers are spending quite broadly When you dig into the details and you try to understand the sectors, um, a few stand out. Furniture spending was really, really strong on the back of this latest round of stimulus. And that reflects what we've seen in the housing market, greater churn of the housing stock, more movement, people looking to upgrade their homes. Um, We also saw some pretty impressive spending in clothing and department stores, which could suggest that people are starting to think about going back out and refreshing their wardrobe when they re-enter the economy. And then also restaurants, um, especially relative to the last two rounds of stimulus. This time around, restaurants did receive additional funds. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about are we talking now about the stimulus checks that have just gone out in the last 10 days or so? Or are we talking about the ones that went out at the end of the year or both or what? So we're primarily focused in this analysis on the latest round of stimulus, stimulus mm-hmm. 3.0. Got it. Um, and, and that's because, you know, even though, yes, the stimulus as it's distributed has a jolt to the economy in the first few days after receipt, but it multiplies and will continue to support the economy thereafter. But what we're really trying to understand is the consumer reaction upon receiving the additional funds. How much do they spend and where do they spend and how long does that last in terms of creating that big kind of incremental boost to stimulus recipients versus non-recipients? It's interesting that clothing seems to be coming back. Maybe that's as people go back uh, into offices. Maybe it's that they're going out and socializing more. But you point out that the stimulus recipients are spending double what the non-recipients are on clothing. That's right. Just in the in that's just in the period following the distribution right. of, of stimulus payments, um, there was a big jolt to spending on clothing and department stores among stimulus recipients um, relative to non-recipients. So it showed that the incremental dollars were indeed supporting that type of spend. There was a lot of talk, a lot of talk that this new stimulus uh, uh, money was going to go into the market. It was going to go either into savings. Let's separate that mm-hmm. from the market. When I think of savings, yeah. I'm thinking largely of cash equivalents or savings accounts, which pay you nothing. But there were a lot of people who said, oh, this money, a lot of this money's going to go into, into, into speculation and into, into cryptocurrency and all that stuff. You see any of that? Well, we're not we're not tracking that. Um, we're only tracking the the change in consumer spending. Um, and the reality is, is that the this stimulus, especially relative to the, to the last one in January, even relative to the first one, it was a larger dollar amount per household. So even if there is this distribution of spend, some is distribution of payments, some is on spending, some is on savings, maybe some is for investments. It lifts all of these categories. So when you try to think about the impact of these dollars on the economy, 
it's not as simple as to say, okay, people are going to use the money for X and not for Y. Right. It's quite contrary. They're using it for, for, for everything. For, for everything. Certainly, let, our data shows a big boost to spending. Let me, let me dive a little deeper there, if I might. If spend, you're sure. tracking spending, as me- right? You're correct. tracking spending as measured by credit card activity and, and, and things like that, correct? We're tracking spending from aggregated uh, total card spending. Yeah. Card spending. So, so mm-hmm. you've got spending and you've got spending up whatever it was, 87 percent, 82 percent compared with a year ago. Not, su- not surprising, I suppose, because at that point, everybody had, had gone into their, into their yeah. dens and their warrens uh, below ground. But if you've got spending up that much and it's coming back in travel, it's coming back in clothing, it's coming back in in all other areas. Can you infer from that if the checks were fourteen hundred dollars or whatever they were, that relatively little of it is is going into investment and savings? Or can you make any conclusion like that? Um, so so a few things to remember with that, those comments. First is the, the one year change, as you noted, is is certainly impacted by base effects. This time last year, the economy was shutting down. So yeah. much more prudent to look at a two year change when trying to understand the, the underlying trend and even trying to compare it to the prior two rounds of stimulus distributions. Um, and then in terms of kind of following the money, look, it, you know, it, you have to be careful in the sense of trying to understand how the funds are being distributed into the economy. The one thing that we can say very clearly is that a good portion were used on consumer spending. And we think that's being reflected not only in aggregated card data, but frankly, in a variety of different economic indicators. Look at measures of mobility. Look at consumer confidence that we just got released from the conference board. Um, the biggest increase on a month-to-month basis since April 2003 that corresponded with the distribution of stimulus checks and this reopening. So, um, you know, I think when you take a step back and you look at a, a range of measures, the consumer is doing exceptionally well right now. Yeah, and to your point, we just showed that two-year change in spending alongside the one-year, and the two-year change is really significant. It's above 20% yes. in many of the That's metro right. areas that, uh, that your research indicated. Michelle, great to have you with us. Appreciate it. Michelle Thanks, Meyer, Tyler. Bank of America Global Research. And coming up, travel is coming back across the U.S. as the vaccine rollout continues ahead. We will speak with the CEO of Booking Holdings about the trends, the future, and taking on Airbnb. Plus, Apple CEO Tim Cook weighs in on tech regulation as the call for changes from Capitol Hill grows. The exchange returns right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange for Monday, everybody. As travel restrictions continue to ease both in the U.S. and around the globe, online bookers are battling it out for travelers' business. 
Seema Modi. Modi has that part of the story for us. Hi, Seema. Hey, Tyler. With more countries opening up travel to fully vaccinated Americans, the biggest online travel operator, Booking Holdings, is trying to incentivize customers to book a trip, offering a $50 credit for future travel. This, as the CDC updates, its travel guidance no longer requiring Americans to test and quarantine when traveling domestically. For what this means for the comeback in travel, I'm joined by Glenn Fogel, CEO of Booking Holdings. Glenn, welcome back. Welcome to the Exchange. Uh, how significant is this news from the CDC lifting testing and self-quarantine requirements for fully vaccinated Americans? Well, hi, CMF. Thanks for having me. And of course, the timing couldn't be better because we're going out offering up, as you said, a $50 post-day credit to people incentivize them to get travel. At the same time, CDC is saying if you're vaccinated, it's safer to travel. So it's really great timing for everybody. And we're really looking forward to people to start thinking about that summer holiday. Can you quantify that demand? You have the benefit, Glenn, of seeing the real-time bookings for flights, rental cars, hotels, vacation rentals. Which part of the travel story is seeing the most demand right now? Well, we're seeing it in all areas, actually. And, you you know, you see the announcements by the other CEOs, particularly of our partner friends and the airlines and the hotels, all talking about increased demand everywhere, which is really, really great. And we're seeing prices starting to go up, too, which, of course, is a function of demand, which is why I continue to advocate, please go out, look at what you want, go get it now. It's cancelable for free, so there's no cost of doing it. Get that option out there and get that $50 credit right now. As much as a vaccine is instilling hope in the world of travel, Glenn, data released from your firm, uh, Booking Holdings, this new survey found that Americans still plan to stick with the familiar and prefer to travel closer to home for the foreseeable future. Uh, why do you think that is? And should we expect uh, fewer Americans to travel abroad this summer? Well, certainly we know people are not going to be able to travel abroad as well as things are going here in the States. Four million uh, vaccinations Saturday. Fantastic. Other parts of the world not as good. We know there are problems in Europe right now. And governments don't want people coming to visit if there's any concern that it could make their situation worse. So there's not going to be a huge amount of international travel. Now, in terms of people staying close to home, certainly there's just still feeling of uncertainty and wanting to be close to home. But I think that's going to expand out. As people feel it's safer to travel, they'll start going for longer uh, trips. How willing, uh, sir, do you think American travelers are going to be or are today to comply with mask wearing requirements or uh, proof of COVID testing requirements or vaccination requirements that are put in place either by properties uh, or by airlines or, or, or throughout the travel process? Well, from the very beginning, we've always advocated traveling safely and doing whatever is necessary to maintain safety. And we're still totally in favor of that. And the CDC recommendations in terms of when you should wear a mask, and there's still rules that if you're on a plane, you have to wear a mask. We're all in favor of that. And we recognize that using some of these technological solutions could be very helpful in terms of getting more travel happening. So, for example, the idea of a COVID passport, health passport that says you're fully vaccinated, you're a safe traveler, you can go places where other people may not be able or allowed to go. Do you favor that? Excuse me, do you favor the idea of a COVID type passport that's been talked about? And some people really uh, strenuously object to that. Yeah, and I'm not sure why people so object to it. In terms of making it safer for people to travel, instead of saying nobody gets to travel, okay, not everybody will go able to go right away, but at least let some. The industry has been so devastated. Travel has been so hurt by this terrible, tragic 
uh, crisis. We need every single thing that can help get it going. And it's allowing people to travel because they are absolutely proven to be safe. What's wrong with that? I mean, I drive around with a license that says I'm a safe driver. So why? what's wrong with the thing that proves that I'm a safe traveler? Yeah, there's some like the Florida, the governor of Florida, Glenn, who Governor DeSantis, who says that this vaccine passport is something he will not implement in his state. He says uh, there are privacy concerns. But I want to switch to vacation rentals. Last week, I was reporting on how Expedia, one of your biggest competitors, is uh, looking to poach super hosts from Airbnb, getting more of those high quality homes on their site. Just curious, uh, you know, when it comes to vacation rentals, what specific steps you're taking at booking to really uh, amp up the level and the quality of inventory on your site. Yeah, there's no doubt that everybody wants to get those great hosts who have a great offering to a traveler. We want to get them too, and we have a lot. There's no doubt there's a lot of competition, and there are lots of ways to do it in terms of incentivize those people who have those great properties to make sure they're on our site as well as on others, and we're working very hard on that. I think one of the biggest issues for us, of course, is making sure everybody's aware that we offer some fantastic short-term rentals, homes on the beach, cabins of the mountain. I think that's something that we are continuing to work on because we do have a great product. You don't have to go back and forth with a host. It's instantly bookable. You can compare and contrast not only the homes, but also the hotels on the same site. And the biggest thing, we don't hit you with a fee at the very end of the checkout with an extra cost. That's why we think our product's a lot better. Yeah, we're starting to see as consumers, they want that option. It's not just a vacation rental or a hotel. They want to be able to experience both. Glenn, thank you for joining us today. Glenn Fogel with the latest on this travel recovery, Tyler, that we are tracking real time. All right, Sam, we'll see you in a little while as you join us uh, for Power Lunch in just a short while. All right, coming up, uh, everybody, companies are speaking out against Georgia's new voting law. But how far are they willing to go? And what about those that are staying silent? We will dig into that debate and what other states may be in corporate America's crosshairs over similar legislation. Plus, shares of Ford and GM moving higher after a bullish call from Wells Fargo. The analyst will tell us why a 40 percent rally this year for the stocks just isn't enough. And as we head to break, take a look at crude sinking more than 5 percent right now, falling below $50 a barrel. This is COVID cases in some areas of the world are lowering expectations for a quick turnaround in oil consumption. We'll be right back. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.
Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Stocks are rallying across the board. A lot of green numbers there. The Dow was up 464 points at the high, off just a little bit now, a mere 380. Uh, NASDAQ hitting its highest level since mid-February. Let's look at some sectors for you now. Consumer discretionary and communication services are the leaders right now, with gains of more than 2%, closely followed by technology. Uh, Real estate in the red, energy in the uh, red as well, but the other laggards are actually higher as well. Movers this hour, alternative energy stocks lower once again, with the uh, end phase seeing the biggest losses down about 7%, as you see there. Worst performer in the S&P 500 today. Tesla, the exception in that area, moving higher on record deliveries during the first quarter. The company uh, coming across with 185,000 vehicles, more than 10,000 above the consensus forecast. And the reopening trade doing well once again today. Airline stocks getting a boost. Take a look at United, Delta, American, Southwest. They are all up uh, 3% or thereabouts in some cases. More cruise lines getting a bump also. Norwegian leading the S&P 500 right now, up nearly 6%. Let's check in with Courtney Reagan for a news update. Hey, Court. Hi there, Tyler. Good to see you. Here is your news update at this hour. In Florida, county officials say there is a possible second leak at a compromised wastewater reservoir that has already forced the evacuation of hundreds of residents. Get all the latest on this developing story on the news with Shepard Smith. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. In Myanmar's largest city, protesters dressed in black marched to remember those who have died during demonstrations against the military coup in February. A human rights group says more than 550 people have lost their lives. U.S. air travel continues to come back. The TSA counted more than a million and a half people going through its checkpoints yesterday on Easter Sunday. That's the third day in the last four that air travel has been above that level. And Harvey Weinstein is appealing his sex crime conviction. Just over a year ago, Weinstein was found guilty of rape and sentenced to 23 years in prison. Weinstein's lawyer says the former movie mogul did not receive a fair trial. And that's our CNBC News update for this hour. Back over to you, Ty. Courtney, thank you very much. And coming up, Wall Street loves Roblox. Personal Facebook data ends up on the dark web and a battle of the beasts, Godzilla versus King Kong brings moviegoers back into theaters. That's ahead as the exchange continues right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for Rapid Fire. Here with their takes are Josh Lipton, Julia Borston, Mike Santoli. Welcome, team. Uh, first topic is shares of Roblox. They are higher on a wave of bullish initiations from the street. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America giving the video game platform a buy rating or its equivalent. All three cite the company's robust growth prospects. And Goldman noted that Roblox can also pass along development costs to content creators. Shares up about 5% today and more than 50%, Mike Santoli, since its IPO last month. Can Roblox keep rolling? Well, first of all, exactly the kind of company that analysts are going to find multiple reasons to endorse, just in terms of the huge size of the, the market that they're going after, the fact that it's a very flexible, expandable platform, and the fact the market's proven it's willing to pay up 
for similar companies with that type of profile, even before they earn profit. So you see the analysts comparing it to things like DoorDash and Airbnb. You could also throw Bumble in there in terms of recent IPOs. Also, the price targets all around eighty dollars. Well, the, the highest price so far that Roblox has traded at is a little bit above seventy nine. So really, not a lot of risk in the, in the la, you know without really valuation support in saying, oh, maybe it can go trade back up to where it just traded not too long ago. Josh, what is this company's moat? What what is to pro- pro- prohibit or prevent or forestall competitors from coming in and effectively doing what they're doing? Yeah, so Roblox, listen, if you have a kid or you even even know a kid, you have heard of Roblox. It's that popular. It's an online gaming platform, very interesting business model. Users create the games with the tools the company provides, and they have a revenue split, 70-30. Tremendous growth during the pandemic, but a couple questions you would have before piling in here, Tyler. One is, um, listen, can they successfully extend their reach, really, um, to older demographics, often obviously what attracts a 12-year-old? It's kind of be a little bit different than what attracts an 18-year-old. And also, what does the growth rate, Tyler, actually look like for a company like this after the pandemic ends and the kids go back to school? That is still an open question. Product and its uptake. And we know that there's an appetite for user-created content. That You've got YouTube that proves that. You've got Facebook. You've got TikTok that proves that. This is that kind of model fundamentally, isn't it? Well, what I would say, Tyler, is not only is it that kind of model, but 8 million developers creating games within this platform that has 36 million users. That ratio of people creating content to the people consuming the content, that is a very high ratio, very different than, say, compared to the number of people who are creating that really popular content on TikTok. So I think that part of the game is the creation of the game. But I'm with Josh. You know, my kids are part of the target demo for Roblox, for sure. And they definitely discovered it because of the pandemic. My question is, once those kids, like mine, are back at basketball practice, will their parents maybe start to crack down on all that screen time? Uh, (laughs) I think that's probably a fair point. But uh, final thought before we tie it up here. Won't most of the games stink? I mean, won't, won't they, most of them just be not particularly compelling? How will you find the good ones, Josh? Well, listen, you have millions and millions of experiences on there. And by experiences, Tyler, they mean games, they mean concerts. Concerts, by the way, is a way they can get to those demographics. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, you just need, Tyler, the few that are going to attract a ton of eyeballs. And some of those developers have clearly had big hits. And by the way, that has translated for some of those developers into big money. We mean tens of thousands of dollars a month, Tyler. All right. Uh, Let's go to Facebook, uh, which is again under fire. Uh, Insider first reported that the personal data of more than half a billion users posted in a, quote, low-level hacking forum, including names, phone numbers, email addresses. Facebook says that this was old data that was hacked nearly two years ago uh, and has resurfaced, but it's another black eye for the company at a time when social media is facing growing scrutiny from Washington. Uh, Despite this, shares of Facebook hitting a record high today. Julia, you've been following this story for us. Uh, Facebook would like us to sort of say, hey, this is old data, but it is once again uh, an indication of the privacy problems that Facebook seems to continue to be bedeviled by. Well, Tyler, this is old data, part of an old hack back in 2019. I think the issue, though, is it really reveals the long tail of these hacks. This data was available probably for sale in the dark 
the dark and dusty corners of the web. Now the idea is that this data has been around for so long, now it's being posted more openly online. I think really, though, the question, though, is do consumers care? Do investors care? Do advertisers care? We're not seeing it impact the stock. So far, privacy issues have not impacted engagement on Facebook. So certainly it's not a good look and Facebook is drawing more scrutiny when it comes to issues around privacy, but they have made some changes since then. So they're trying to protect themselves against that regulatory crackdown when it comes to privacy in particular. Josh, I see you nodding basically in agreement there that it doesn't seem to have dented the business, uh, the user base or the stock. Well, so that, I mean, for our, our audience, Tyler, I mean, so traders, investors, business people, I mean, Julia's hitting on the key question, right, for our audience. It's, it's, does it really impact user engagement and therefore advertisers? And these headlines, you know, you might describe them as a black eye, but they don't seem to have that impact. And I was actually talking to Gene Munster over at Loop Ventures, and Gene obviously has covered this, this company for a long time. He simply thinks, listen, the core Facebook user at this point sort of understands this is a risk of using the free service. It's, it's a cost. Now, they don't want to have their credit card. They don't want that out in the wild. But other than that, Gene says, he thinks it's kind of a risk people now accept. And by the way, Gene's job, obviously, is to tell people where to put their money. He still likes Facebook over the past 12 months because he says it is a must-buy for advertisers. He also thinks Facebook and Google can raise prices if they need to, Tyler. Quick tie-off comment there, Mike. Is Facebook a fortress stock? Fortress Facebook? It's absolutely behaving that way. I mean, it's basically had to absorb a lot of these attacks, whether just rhetorical mm -hmm. or the, the privacy challenges. Also, being hacked and maybe being vulnerable in information security is not great, but maybe it's better than people saying that the privacy concerns come from the actual business practices of, of Facebook. That used to be the concern, right? That they were yeah. kind of selling people's uh, profiles, at least uh, in an obscured way to advertise. We're going to stick with big tech and privacy or security. Bold call from Apple's CEO, Tim Cook. He's actually calling for more regulation of the industry. Cook tells CNBC contributor and Recode editor-at-large Kara Swisher on her Sway podcast, quote, I think privacy is one of the top issues of the 21st century, and I think we're in a crisis. Years ago, I thought companies would regulate themselves and sort of get better. I no longer believe that, and I'm not generally somebody keen on regulation, but I think that regulation is required. Now, this comes as lawmakers debate changes to the controversial Section 230 law, shielding tech companies from liability for content posted on their platforms. But let me ask you this, Julia, is, is Tim Cook being a little self-serving here in that Apple may have an edge on privacy and Section 230 really doesn't affect Apple per se because they're not publishing content in the way that we think about YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter as a publisher of content. That's absolutely right. Section 230 does not impact Apple. And Apple separately has really made privacy, which is a separate regulatory yes. issue, really core to its identity. And I have to remind you that in addition to all this regulatory scrutiny, Apple is also just weeks away, Tim Cook told Kara Swisher, just weeks away from rolling out its new operating system change. And that will put privacy front and center. The conflict there between Apple and Facebook is that Apple's going to be asking consumers if they want to be tracked on their devices, giving them the option of opting out. Facebook, of course, has weighed in on this, saying this isn't fair to small businesses. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to target their ads as effectively if they aren't able 
to track consumers as they move around on their mobile devices. So I think, and, and, and the activity within the mobile devices, not physically in the world. Right. So I think it's an interesting question, and we'll see where people come down on this. Are they going to opt out and take that new um, new option that Tim Cook yeah. is going to give them? Josh, on quick the new thought from system. you as we as we get ready to move on here. It is a core value in Cupertino, California, Tyler. Steve Jobs talked about this with Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg years ago. And Steve Jobs said privacy to him means people know what they're signing up for in plain English. And you ask them repeatedly. I think Cook is carrying that principle forward. Also comes down to business model, Tyler. So Apple sells hardware, not advertising. I think that means it can think about data collection differently than peers. It can minimize that collection and anonymize it, Tyler. Well, here's something we haven't talked about in a long, long, time a box office boom for warner brothers the studios godzilla versus kong securing a pandemic best opening weekend that's that's something we never thought we'd be saying uh including more than 32 million dollars in ticket sales between friday and sunday it's even more impressive when you consider that just 55 percent of all movie theaters are open right now compared with the same weekend back in 2019 they're operating at limited capacity too Julia, what does this mean for Hollywood? And I should point out that when you throw in international box office on Godzilla versus Kong, it looks even better. And Tyler, it looks even better if you consider the fact that Warner Brothers also made this film available for streaming for HBO Max subscribers. So this weekend was not just a test of consumer demand for getting back to theaters. It was also a test of whether people would choose to either stay home and stream at home if they were already paying for HBO Max, it's effectively free, or whether they would opt to go out. So I do think it bodes well for the theatrical business coming back and even coexisting with the streaming business, Tyler. You know, Mike Santoli, we, we note that AMC is up 15% today. They are obviously one of the big theater operators. Uh, clearly, they've still got some shutdowns in, in, in areas. But this does augur well for the theater operators, I assume for the producers of content, uh, whether it's Warner Brothers, which is owned by uh, uh, by the parent ATT, I think, yep. um, and so forth. Well, it absolutely bodes well. I mean, people were basically willing to write off this industry. On the other hand, AMC has been so successful at raising capital during the pandemic in the form of debt and equity that the amount of capital reflected in the overall business now pretty much exceeds relative to even its peak earnings years ago, you know, what it, what it traded at before. My point is, yes, you can have this become, again, a viable or even thriving uh, industry and not necessarily have it translate directly into the benefit of AMC shareholders at this price. We have to see, obviously, how it plays out. There's also going to be a tremendous number of activities that people just want to go back to to have a feeling of normal. There's a lot of pent-up demand. Are we going to be able to extrapolate that mm-hmm. over the course of the coming years, or is it just a get-out-of-jail-free uh, moment for a lot of people? Julia, Michael, Josh, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. And speaking of Godzilla versus Kong, don't miss the chief executive of the production company behind the film. Right here on The Exchange tomorrow, the legendary entertainment CEO will join us at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And that's it for Rapid Fire. Still ahead, uh, EV efforts at both Ford and GM catching the street's attention. Why you may want to get bullish on those two, that's coming up. But first, Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game from Atlanta in response to Georgia's new voting law. Those details, the 43 other states considering similar measures and corporate America's responses across the country. That's next. And take a look at the markets right now. We are slightly off the highs, but still seeing very 
nice gains across the board. The Russell 2000 uh, limping a little bit there, but uh, it's higher too. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Following Major League Baseball's decision to move the 2021 All-Star Game from Atlanta, dozens of companies have come out condemning Georgia's voting law. Scott Cohn joins us now with a look at who is speaking up, who's not, and whether we can expect some real action. Hi, Scott. Hi, Tyler. The eloquence is springing forth from American corporations about the sanctity of the right to vote and the importance of equal access to the polls. From J.P. Morgan Chase, voting is fundamental to the health and future of our democracy. J.P. Morgan Chase employees span the United States and as state capitals debate election laws, we believe voting must be accessible and equitable. Here's Twitter. It is critical that we collectively oppose voter suppression and promote voting access and election transparency. And in Texas, where the legislature is considering restrictions on early and absentee voting, Dallas-based American Airlines writes, voting is the hallmark of our democracy and is the foundation of our great country. We value the democratic process and believe every eligible American should be allowed to exercise their right to vote. And that's no matter which party or political candidate they support. A lot less clear, though, is what companies are prepared to do about any of this. The Georgia law is already a done deal, of course, and only Major League Baseball has pulled its business so far. What's more, a new report by Public Citizen says many of the legislators pushing these laws are big recipients of corporate donations from the likes of AT&T, which has spoken out against the voting restrictions, and from CNBC parent company Comcast, which has yet to respond to our request for a comment. You want a sign of just how fraught this issue is? Texas Governor Greg Abbott has just told the Texas Rangers he's no longer interested in throwing out the first pitch at their home opener today. He is protesting the actions of Major League Baseball. You know, Scott... I guess my top question here is, I understand that a company like Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines has now come out and forcefully condemned uh, the Georgia voting law. But why didn't they do it before? Why didn't they do it before the law was passed and signed in the middle of the debate? Well, we, we don't know, and we may never know. Now some, some companies are starting to talk as states like Texas and 42 other states consider these things. But as I said, they're just talking. And the question is going to be whether they're actually willing to pull business, whether they're actually willing to say, I'm not going to locate a new plant in Georgia or Texas or Arizona because of this voting law. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen it in in other issues, the North Carolina bathroom bill a few years ago and the Religious Freedom Act in Indiana, where they actually had to change those laws to, to appease corporate America. We don't know yet how they're going to react ultimately and what's substantively going to happen with this beyond the words. But you do, as you, as you point out, you have companies in Texas, for example, like Dell Computer, like American Airlines, that have vast uh, employee numbers there. And if those companies got to a point where they said, we're, we're moving out of this state because of it, it would uh, definitely dent, obviously, tax revenue. Scott Cohn, great as always to see you. Fantastic, sure. man. All right, still ahead, Ford has a new focus, and GM is cruising to the lead in autonomous vehicles. We'll talk to an analyst who has calls, who calls both of the automakers a buy. That's next, and as we head to break, 
It is Financial Literacy Month, and CNBC, of course, committed to sharing messages from business and thought leaders about the importance of financial education. Here is former SBA Administrator Maria Contreras-Sweet. For me, financial knowledge is everything. It's empowerment. You can have a good idea, but when you have financial empowerment, you know how to execute, you know how to access capital, and you can scale. My story is just that. I came here from Mexico at the age of five. I learned about how to save money, how to invest it, and how to use it well. And I was able to start a bank, the first Hispanic-owned bank in California in two generations. Welcome back, everybody. While Tesla gets all the headlines, Wells Fargo says it's time to pay attention to the legacy players. This year, Ford and GM outpacing their peers and the markets. GM up 44 percent, Ford 42 percent, Tesla flat. My next guest says the road is clear for even more upside for those two. Colin Langan is an analyst at Wells Fargo. Colin, thank you for joining us today. Uh, what, what, are the, what are the advantages that Ford and GM respectively have in the marketplace right now uh, that makes you confident that their stocks can move up? Well, I mean, I think I think there's two, two slightly different stories. I think for GM, they've been a, a pretty strong leader. I mean, they're talking about electric vehicles to start off. Uh, the Bolt is on its third generation. They'll have the Hummer, which I think is going to be one of the more exciting EV launches. So they just have pretty good momentum there. Cruise is a leader in autonomous. Uh, they were just valued at $30 billion in line with Waymo, who is perceived to be the leader. Um, so they are just sort of hitting it on all strides on future mobility. Uh, Ford is a little bit more of a, a restructuring story. They, their turnaround has taken off a long time. And I think they finally got the right leadership in place to kind of get that off the ground. And their EV story is pretty good. I mean, the Ford Mustang Mach-E has gotten really great reviews. It's a great car. It's really something I think that's very desirable uh, for customers to come, on, come out and want to buy. It's not a, it clearly isn't a compliance vehicle the way some of these other EVs are. So the upside on GM, which is trading now, what, in the, in the low 60s? Is that right? You, yep. Your price target there is what? I have a $67 price target. And what would the what would be the disaster scenario on GM if it if it if it doesn't work out? Uh, I believe my downsides in the in the forties. Uh, that would be you know that they lose some credit for the, the valuation of mm-hmm. Cruise, uh, mm-hmm. which is, is right now doing quite well. Uh, and that would be you know multiple compression as people maybe look lose faith faith in the story. Uh, but they've done a very consistent job for many years, so I, I'm not too concerned about my downside. Yep. I mean they did a nine percent margin in North over nine percent mar, mar, margin in North America in the COVID crisis. So pretty unbelievable yeah. uh, for an auto company. And Ford, as you say, let's say future of mobility is the GM story. In Ford's case, it's having the right product lineup, trucks, SUVs, uh, and as you say, a Mustang that is an exciting car. They're basically out of the sedan business. Yeah, and I think that's a huge factor, right? So Ford is targeting a 10% margin in North mm-hmm. America. They were there all the way back in 2015. And believe it or not, they were 30% cars in 2015, which mm-hmm. are very low or maybe no profit uh, vehicles. Today, right. they'll be probably in two years, probably 4%, just the, the, the old school Mustang will mm-hmm. be left. And they'll replace all of those with SUVs and pickups like the Ranger. And then more recently will be the, the Bronco and Bronco Sport, which are... 
I think, going to be much higher margin vehicles and much more exciting vehicles. Got to leave it there. Colin Langan, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it. And that does it for the exchange. You bet. Up next on Power Lunch, as the CDC issues new guidance for the cruise industry, we will speak with the CEO of Virgin Voyages about the future and the next steps he hopes the CDC will take. I'll join Seema Modi after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.